We're continuing in our uh, fall series called Witness, uh, in which we explore what it looks like to fulfill the Great Commission and be God's witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, as we learn uh, what it looks like to flourish in the post-Christian secular West. Uh, if you've been with us the last few months, you know that we just finished the first movement in our series, which was all about who we are and what we do. Uh, essentially, it was our annual vision series in the context of witness. And so to sum up the last uh, you know, month or so, month and a half of, of teaching, we are a gathered people uh, committed to community who pray for the renewal and the revival of Western culture, uh, who are rooted and grounded in the truth of Scripture in the midst of our growing truth crisis, uh, who are filled with the Spirit of God and experiencing the roles, manifestations, and gifts of the Spirit as we go. That was the last five or six weeks. That was movement one. Uh, this morning, we uh, turn the page to uh, focus on a study of the culture itself. Uh, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, verse 13. That's Acts 13, verse 13, and we'll pick up there in a moment. Uh, if you can imagine for a moment that you were called by God to be a missionary or a witness in Ethiopia you would prepare for that calling before you left. And one of the things that you would do would be to study the culture of Ethiopia itself. Uh, who are they? What's their history? What do they believe? How do they conduct themselves? What are the unique opportunities for speaking the gospel in that context? Uh, the gospel itself never changes. Uh, it is timeless but the way that we present the gospel and the way that it meets, challenges, speaks to, overturns, and intersects with culture is very much dependent on the time, place, and culture itself. And we see that in the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles open to Acts 13, uh, you'll see at the start of the chapter, Paul and Barnabas were set aside, uh, called by the Holy Spirit for a specific task. And then later, down in verse 13, we read this. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath day, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leader of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up in the synagogue, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving the land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years years, and off he goes with a long, drawn-out history of the New Testament leading up to Jesus. Now, turn with me, if you would, one page over in your Bibles to Acts 14, verse 15. Acts 14, verse 15. 
Um, and I'll, I'll read it out so Siri won't have to. But um, In Acts 14, uh, Paul and Barnabas are once again preaching the gospel, but this time they are preaching in, in a very uh, Gentile, non-Jewish context. They pray for a man who's instantly and radically healed in the name of Jesus, and these very pagan Gentiles begin to worship Paul and Barnabas believing them to be pagan gods who have come to visit them. Here's Paul's response to being worshipped. He says, friends, this is Acts 14, verse 15. Friends, why are you doing this? In other words, don't worship us. We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. And on he goes. But notice the difference between preaching in a Jewish synagogue, in which Paul basically sums up the entire New Testament, as a foundation for understanding Jesus, and by contrast, his preaching a days later to the pagan Gentiles, in which he says nothing at all of the Old Testament, but starts with the idea that there is a creator God who made the heavens and the earth. The universe came from him. And this creator God, whom you don't know, he actually loves you. He provides for you. And, and he's, he fills your hearts with joy. And now he is calling you back to himself. Very different preaching of the exact same gospel. And you can trace this pattern all through the entire book of Acts. Paul's awareness of his context, his culture, his audience is stunning. He never preaches the same sermon twice. It's always uniquely tailored to the time, place, and people uh, to whom he's speaking. And, and that's the heart behind this second movement of the series, that we would uh, begin to understand, to know our culture, to understand the time and place that we live, just as any missionary would. And this becomes increasingly important as our culture becomes increasingly secular. You and I, uh, are called to witness in this post-Christian culture. And that comes with unique obstacles and unique opportunities. So in the name of knowing our context, we're going to start today by posing a very simple question. What is post-Christian culture? You may have heard me use that phrase over the last few months. What is post-Christian culture? How should we understand it what does that mean? How should we witness within it? As a side note, a very helpful resource that is going to shape this next movement of our series uh, is a podcast called This Cultural Moment, which is hosted by one of my former pastors, a guy by the name of John Mark Comer. And uh, it has been invaluable in shaping this section of the series. And so rather than constantly, you know, quoting or referring back to them, I'll just encourage you guys from the outset, if you have the capacity for it, go and listen to this podcast series. Uh, it is going to be well worth your time. And it's going to shape these next few weeks as we study our own uh, culture. 
Uh, and with that, we'll go ahead and jump in. Uh, I want to start by just introducing a basic framework for understanding the progression of Western culture. Where have we been and potentially where are we headed? Uh, this is the pattern that's playing itself out in itself, itself out in our time and place. So first we can start by rewinding the clock at 2,000 years. Uh, the Western world is what we would call a pre-Christian culture. Uh, and, and we'd often describe it as pagan or animistic. Uh, you can think of Rome before the gospel of Jesus is announced. You have a pantheon uh, of gods and goddesses being worshipped in different contexts. Everything is spiritual. And, and the gods and goddesses and spirits are kind of behind everything, responsible for everything, involved in every intimate aspect of human life. And so our job as human beings then is to appease these gods, to stay on good terms with these gods by honoring them, by worshiping them, by giving them sacrifices. Uh, this is the Western world before the gospel. Uh, this is the Americas before missionaries. Uh, this is much of unreached Africa today. It's pre-Christian, pagan. There are many gods and spirits. Everything is spiritual and we need to worship and, and make sacrifices uh, to these different gods and spirits as we go. Next, uh, with the, the book of Acts and the early church spreading out across the ancient world, uh, the gospel is announced over the course of decades and centuries. It utterly transforms the Roman and therefore the Western world. And it becomes what you would call a Christian culture which is very different. Uh, as the gospel spread across the known world, there was this massive shift away from uh, spirits and the pantheon uh, to worship of the one true God uh, who could now be known intimately in Jesus. And it's no surprise that the early Christians were known as atheists. Uh, they despiritualized the ancient world. Uh, they, they gutted and overturned and brought down the Pantheon. They dethroned Zeus and Atlas and Athena and a thousand others across the ancient world. They completely reshaped uh, Europe, the Western world, and beyond with the gospel. And it uh, persisted in what we would call a Christian culture for centuries. To be clear, that doesn't mean that everyone living through those centuries was Christian. Far from it. But we use that term uh, to describe a world in which uh, Christianity was sort of the default background. It was common ground. It was, it was the lens. It was the basis for, for their ethics and their uh, lens for government. It, it shaped the atmosphere and, and their culture. It kind of set the tone for life in those centuries. Uh, then, as you get into the 17th and 18th centuries and onward, you have the Enlightenment and other forces that gave birth to what we would call post-Christian culture, uh, which is essentially a reaction against uh, Christian culture, a rejection of Christianity, an attempt to move past it um, and sort of carry on the human project without God. We don't need all of that stuff. We believe it's outdated now. Let's just carry on without God. It's not a return to paganism. That's sort of dead and gone. There's a sense in which as the gospel spread, it killed that and it, and it can't truly be revived. It, it can never be revived as it was before the gospel. So it's not a return to paganism. Uh, this is something different. Uh, Mark Sayers, who co-hosts This Cultural Moment, says that post-Christian culture is an attempt to have the kingdom 
without the king. They want to take all of the concepts born out of Christianity, that the world is headed somewhere. That's actually a Christian idea. The world is headed somewhere, that things should progress or get better over time, that there should be love and justice and equality in the world, that human beings uh, are somehow inherently worthy of dignity and respect and, and basic human rights just as a result of being human. All of these are, are thoroughly uh, Christian ideas uh, born out of the worldview of Scripture. But post-Christian culture says, we basically want the kingdom of God, but we don't need God. Uh, we, we can do it better. Let's have the kingdom without the king. And so you have this growing uh, sort of cultural, post-Christian, progressive movement that's really gained a ton of ground over the last 50 years and perhaps accelerated in the last 20. And uh, this post-Christian culture essentially says, quote, you are a rational, autonomous individual who finds freedom in following your impulses and pleasurable experiences and who must reject all structure all authority, and all commitments in order to lay hold of the freedom of individuality. And when you put this in contrast with the call to die to yourself, submit to the kingship of Jesus, live under the authority of Scripture, well, when placed side by side, this is presented to us as freedom. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks. But it's gained tremendous ground. Throw off all authority. Throw off all commitment. Don't trust anyone but yourself. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. Uh, which, by the way, is in some sense the uniting narrative between the right and the left in our country right now. They have common grounds in, in that mentality, in that belief. Uh, go and pursue pleasure and follow your impulses. That's the meaning of life. The problem is that that uh, ethos, that paradigm, that almost uh, religious way of thinking about the world leaves us with no meaning, no purpose, and no story to live. And human beings, we have purpose, we have meaning, and, and we just inherently, we crave, we know we're supposed to have a story to live. Every human being knows it, uh, deep in our bones. But, but secular post-Christian culture, with all of its promises of freedom, has utterly failed to give us meaning, purpose, and a story to live. Therefore, it is beginning to fail humanity at its most basic level. Because in the words of Mark Sayers, no one wants to be told that they're going to live a nice, quiet life, buy some things from Ikea, and then die somewhere, quiet and alone. That's not it. Like, that's not the human story. And, and something in us reacts against that. We know there's more to life than that. So what do we do? Millions of people now find themselves identifying as post-Christian. As in, hey, we think we're over that, we're past that. We want the kingdom without the king. We can do it better. They believe that life is about pleasure, but in the same breath, there is no God, there is no meaning, there is no purpose, we have no story to live. So where do we turn? 
Uh, what, what, what do we do? Well, famous missionaries of the past predicted that we would do the very thing we're doing now, which is to turn to the political religions. Here at last, we have a story to live. We have something that gives us meaning and purpose. We have a battle to fight and to win. The things which the secular progressive culture have uh, failed to give us can now be found in some twisted sense in the political religions, which are thoroughly secular at this point, but increasingly fanatical in their worship and their expression. Hence, you have the firestorm that is politics today. We'll talk more about that next week. But here's my point as we close. We now live in a post-Christian culture which is turning increasingly to the political religions to find meaning, purpose, a story to live, and even hope for the future. And all of that should shape the way that we witness to the culture. First, at a most basic level, uh, we need to understand and call out the idols of our culture uh, so that we are not seduced by those same idols and led astray. In the ancient world, it was a bit easier. No, I can't go and worship Zeus. No, I won't bow to that statue. And no, I won't worship the emperor as the divine son of God. I already know the real one. No, I can't go into the temple of Artemis and worship by sleeping with a temple prostitute. Uh, those things were fairly easy to pick up on in the ancient world. Not so with the idols of our day. Because our idols aren't statues, they're ideologies, they're worldviews. And if we can't identify them, and call them out to call out the idol ideologies of our day, then we will end up worshiping those idols. Uh, we will buy into a post-Christian mentality without even realizing it. Yeah, maybe life really is all about me and my pleasure. Maybe I really do need to reject all authority. And why should I be committed to anything other than maybe Jesus. And, and why wouldn't I become radical in my political beliefs? Doesn't politics matter? Doesn't this election matter? And, and, and subtly, almost without realizing it, we can, we can slip into that mentality. And over time, we can become... Uh, a post-Christian, secular, political fanatic who unknowingly bows to the idols of our day and has all but forgotten about Jesus and his kingdom. One of the greatest risks of being witnesses and disciple-makers in our culture is that we will become colonized by the very culture that we are attempting to reach. Not many Christians were sent out in the first century only to be colonized by pagan culture, to end up worshiping Zeus. We don't read 
much of that in church history. But we have all sorts of Christians being sent out today into our post-Christian culture who never come back. They are colonized by the very culture they were hoping to transform. So first, we need to understand the culture so that we aren't colonized by that same culture. And second, we need to understand the culture so that we can witness effectively to the culture. We need to recognize where people are coming from, what they believe, what false narratives they've inherited, what false stories they're attempting to live out with the one life they've been given so that we can speak to those idols. We can speak to those false narratives. We can speak uh, toward giving people a hope beyond politics and pleasure-seeking. There's so much more than that. The secular experiment is beginning to fail. Instead of pleasure that was promised, we have anxiety. Our politics are an absolute mess. And, and people are feeling increasingly lost. Uh, it, it, less and less at home in their own skin. And, and it's into this time, this place, and this culture that Jesus has called us to be his witnesses. That, that we should witness, that we should speak to the goodness of God, to his faithfulness, to his love, to his sacrifice, to the hope that we have in him. You want to get people thinking about Jesus? Ask them what they hope in. Do you have hope in a world gone mad? In a failing secular kingdom without a king? In a meaningless, pleasure-seeking life that ends in death? in a post-Christian culture with no story to live, do you have hope? And you can almost hear Jesus whispering, look out at the harvest fields. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And as our post-Christian culture begins to collapse, as it slowly folds in on itself, our prayer is that a new kingdom will arise to take its place. May we be witnesses of that kingdom and the king who is to come. Let's pray. Jesus, as we step into these next few weeks of um, studying our own culture, trying to understand the, the time and place that we live as missionaries, uh, we do so for effective witness, Lord. We do so so that we can bring glory to you by, by carrying the truth into the culture, by speaking truth to power. And in some ways, it's easy to look at the past and say, oh man, why couldn't we be witnesses in, in a pre-Christian culture? Wouldn't it be so much easier 
to call out visible idols and, and to call people to the living God. And yet, in reality, Lord, um, there's just as much obstacle and just as much opportunity in this moment that we live right now uh, as there has been in any other moment in human history. And so as we uh, contemplate what it looks like to carry your truth into the world, to see your kingdom come and your will be done, uh, God, I pray that you would uh, give us the courage to speak the truth to others, that you would give us courage to witness about the hope that we have uh, in in a crazy dying world, that you would give us uh, the empowering in the spirit, the ability to speak truth to culture without being colonized by that same culture. God, we have the best story to share. We have the best news to share. Nothing else in our world even comes close right now. And so as our, as our grand secular experiment um, begins to crack, as, as the foundation begins to crumble because it can't bear the weight of what humanity needs, God, would we be there to witness? Would we be there to share hope? Would we be there to point people back to the living God who loves them, who provides for them, who brings joy into their hearts. The same God of the Old Testament wrote this beautiful story leading up to the coming of the Messiah. God, whoever we're talking to, however we're to frame this good news, I pray that we would just have the courage to share. I I think that the church is in this moment right now where a, a fear an uncertainty. We're not sure about the future. We, we feel the culture around us becoming increasingly post-Christian. But the more post-Christian it becomes, Lord, the greater our opportunity becomes. As, as thousands, we have hundreds of thousands of people around us right now who don't have hope in eternal life and, and who are slowly realizing subconsciously and even consciously that that the secular worldview just isn't enough, that it doesn't explain who they are, that it can't bear the weight of humanity. So Lord, even now, I pray that you would meet us in this place. I pray you would lay specific names, specific people on our hearts. Everyone in this room knows people who are thoroughly post-Christian. in in their thinking. Perhaps you want to bring some of those people to mind this morning. People that we can love, that we can serve, that we can share with, that we can meet right where they're at. People with whom we can share a hope greater than anything that they're holding on to right now. Would you lead us in that, in the power of the Spirit, and in Jesus' name. You can go ahead and stand if you want to. We're going to continue in worship. In in the last few minutes that we've been praying, or even as we continue to to seek the Lord this morning, if God does lay um, specific people, specific family member, friend, coworker on your heart, 
Uh, let's just lift them up in prayer. Uh, I was just chatting beforehand uh, with a couple people and sharing that, like almost forgotten, like, oh yeah, I'm the only Christian in my family. And they were kind of sharing about their family background and people coming to Christ slowly one by one uh, out of brokenness and just reminded through, through that, uh, that, that God can meet anyone and that he can change any heart. That, that sometimes we put limits on ourselves or on God or on the combination of the two. Um, God doesn't do that. He's, he's not limited. He's not intimidated by post-Christian culture. Uh, and, and I don't think we should be either. So if he lays someone specific on your heart, I, I'd encourage you to just lift them up in prayer as we're worshiping. I'd encourage you to, to write their name down. If, you, if you're a note taker and you have a journal, just write them down. Commit to praying for them, connecting with them. God can do more than we can ask or imagine. And, and there are people that, quite frankly, we've given up on. We see them sliding deeper and deeper into post-Christian skepticism and we say, ah, it's beyond me. It's not beyond God. So, so if he lays it on your heart, let's lift them up in prayer. Let's, let's partner with Jesus uh, and seeking the lost and seeking out people, leaving the 99 to find the one and, and reaching for those people who don't have hope. Let's worship. <laughs>